This morning, I would like to take our vision that we uh, were given December the 8th, and I would like to take it and look at pieces of that. And the piece that I want to look at with you today or uh, is, uh, it's imperative that we respond to the Lord. Uh, we as Pentecostals, many times charismatic, spirit-filled, whatever you want to use the, the definition or label to, many times when we get a word, we say, wow, that's great, that's awesome, and then we just keep on going. We don't take time to meditate on it, ruminate, digest it, think about it, pray through it. We just go, oh, that's wonderful. And, and then we just, within a week, we're just moving on to something else. And we're always seeking a word from the Lord. And I said last week, if you haven't, if you haven't digested it and if you haven't acted on the word the Lord's already given you, he's not going to give you anything else until you do and, and receive what he has first given to you. And it's, so it's imperative that we respond to the Lord as he gives us his word or... The real danger or harm is we can fall into the category of those that Jesus warns about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. He talked about those who built their foundation on sand rather than the rock. And when the storms, wind, rain came, the house that built, was built on sand, it fell, it crumbled. But yet the house established on the rock stood solid. And uh, Jesus said at the end of that, that verse, in verse 26, Jesus said this. He said, if you hear my words and act on them. That kind of sounds like James, doesn't it? Do not be a hearer only of the word, but become a doer of the word, obedient to the word. Jesus said, if you hear my words and act on them, you will be wise. You want wisdom? Hear the word of the Lord and respond to it and act upon it. Obey it. You're going to be wise. Then he said, if you hear my words and do not act on them, you are considered foolish. Those are Jesus' words. Those are his words. So we want to hear his word. We want to respond to his word. And we want to fulfill that word because it will not return void. So in saying that, I want to go and look at that word and kind of uh, dissect it a little bit and look at pieces of it for the next uh, today and then the next two weeks, the rest of January. I did forget to mention those baby bottles are due back in the last Sunday of the month, the 26th, so bear that in mind. The, the word that came to us uh, December the 8th was this, I am realigning my house. I am fine-tuning my church, which means people. <laughs> it's not the building, it's us. I'm fine-tuning my church to do what? To release the heavenlies in your personal life, your family and your businesses. I have given much to my house. Now is a timely order of release. So here's where it gets, that's good. That's the good news. But here's the part that involves your and my responsibility. The Lord tells us this. So prepare your hearts to receive my alignment. Prepare your heart to receive my alignment. And then he says, and my kingdom glory will explode in your midst. Have you noticed in Scripture when the Lord gives a command, there's always a blessing attached to it? When the Lord gives a warning, there's always a caution or maybe even a curse attached to it or something, you know, in the negative that's going to happen. So, and, and, and what happens is what? Our choice. We pick and choose because that's how God created us with a free will. So he tells us, prepare your heart to receive my alignment. And then my kingdom glory will explode in your midst. Now, here's where I want to focus this morning. I'm aligning your heart. I'm aligning your eyes. I'm aligning your mind. Turn to me only as your source. I'm yours for eternity. And the part I want to focus on today, the portion is, I'm aligning your heart, the Lord says. So I felt like the Lord was directing me to present to you how do our hearts need to be aligned and how can our hearts be aligned so with the Lord, with his vision, with his gifting, with his, this word that he's given us, with his will for our lives so that we personally and then corporately together can accomplish his will in our hearts and our lives together that he's lifted up. So when we talk about the heart, the heart is the center, not only of our spiritual activity, but really all of the operations of life. Now, we're not talking about the heart that pumps blood that, you know, keeps that blood pumping. We're talking about the real inner core of us, which we're going to see in a minute. Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema, uh, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then he goes on to say, but you shall love the Lord your God with all your 
heart. You know that. And with all your soul and with all your might. So it really covers the whole being there. Your heart, your soul, your might. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So we know that from that and from other teachings, the heart is the core of our being as humans. It's the source of both mental and moral activity. I know we have a brain that thinks, but many times the way that brain thinks is motivated or activated by the heart. We'll see that when the word says that in a moment. The Bible says also, though, that our human depravity is in our heart. I know we think thoughts, but yet it starts and originates in our heart. So our human depravity is in our heart because sin is a principle which has its lodging in the center of man's inward life. How do we know that? Matthew 15 says that when Jesus himself says these very words in verse 19 and 20. He said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Yeah, the, mind's, the mind thinks it and visualizes it, but it started, it rooted, its center is in the heart, Jesus is saying, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are the things that make the person unholy. Now, we, we look at the world and we look at all the crazy, bad, evil things that are going on in the world, and we think everybody needs, that's doing those things, they need to be locked up. Well, my prayer is, Lord, let them be apprehended by the law to get them off the street, but Lord, Holy Spirit, you apprehend our heart to change them because that's the only real permanent change. They have to be converted and have a new heart because all that's going to happen when they go to jail or prison, they're going to get educated by those that are more seasoned and they're going to come out smarter criminals to do, to do things and get away with it even better. Maybe you got some other thoughts towards that too, but that's kind of, Lord, apprehend them. Yeah, get them off the street. They need to be caught. They need to, they need to face a sense of justice and warning, but that's not the real answer. Their heart needs to be apprehended by the Holy Spirit, and they need to be saved and converted and changed so that they'll come like Paul was once a murderer. He was. That they'll become like an evangelist. That they'll become like a pastor or, you know, one of the gifts of the Spirit. They'll become a solid believer in the Lord. Amen. So the, only the heart change can make that happen. Scripture, now, that's the evil side of our heart. But yet Scripture also tells us and describes our heart, the heart of man, humans, as a place where God deals with us. Romans 10, 9 and 10 uh, says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, it didn't start there in your mouth. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him, Yeshua, from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Some of my thoughts about that are a lot of people say they believe in Jesus. They have an intellectual assent or acknowledgement that he was a real historical person, a good person, son of God, prophet of God, did all the miracles, walked on the face of the earth, did the things he said he did. They have a mental assent. They, they equate Jesus to like uh, uh, George Washington or somebody else in history that history tells us was a real person. That's a mental assent to that personhood of that being, that person. But listen, it's, it takes more than believing with your mind that that person's a real person. It says believing from your heart. Your core, and there may be somebody listening today that you're religious, you sing all the words, you do, you give, you, you, you do all the right things as far as Christianity you know, says you should do. But yet, if you've never had a real heart experience that you have actually met Jesus Christ personally, Yeshua, as a personal Savior, you have, you have intellectual assent. You don't have salvation experience. And I'm not trying to cause anybody to doubt today, but it's like it's what it says. You have to believe from your heart, not just your brain. Your heart belief will affect your brain. But it starts in your heart. And it's not just believe that he rose from the dead, but that believe that he is everything that Scripture says he is. Before, before the foundation of time, he was ordained to become the lamb slain. That he actually came as a human being. He actually suffered. He actually died on that cross in your place personally. And when you put your faith and your belief in that, what he did for you, and then call upon his name to forgive and save you and to become savior of your Lord. Don't ask him just for fire insurance to keep you from hell. 
There's more to this Christian life than just fire insurance. Thank God. I mean, that's good. Nobody wants to go there to hell in their right mind. But he has so much more for us, a relationship of knowing him being a son, daughter, child, heir, joint heir. Then in Acts chapter 15, it says, And God who knows the heart, you can't hide from him. You cannot tell other people. You cannot divulge what's really in your heart to other people. But listen, God knows the whole story of your heart. God who knows the heart, he bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. This was Jews and Gentiles. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. That's how our hearts become cleansed. That's where God deals with us in our heart, and we're cleansed by our faith or trust in the Lord. And then in 1 Peter 3, 4, it says this, talks about the hidden man, the real us, the true us, the, pure, the, the, the true character of us, who we really are. He said, let your adorning, adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Interesting phrase, the hidden person of the heart. That's the real you. Let your adorning be that real you, the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious to God. That's who you really are. That's what really the transaction between you and God, it goes on between your heart and the Lord. Now, when I looked up heart and when I looked up uh, as a uh, important place in, in our being, there were just a whole lot of scriptures. So this is, I didn't give you the scripture, but I just gave you some other areas Scriptures that indicate the heart as the seat of or the source of these things in our, in our life. The heart is the source and the seat of our physical life. Well, if your heart quits pumping, bye. So he's the heart, seat and source of our physical life. The heart is the, the real us, is the seat of our moral nature and spiritual life. Also the seat of grief. When you look in, in those scriptures that uh, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be sorrowful, okay? Uh, it's also the seat of joy. Your heart is where your joy is contained and, and operates and functions from. Your heart is also, as we've said, the source or the seat of your evil desires. Also affections, perceptions, thoughts and intentions. We'll look at some of those in a minute. Your understanding. Your heart can understand things where your mind can't. Uh, purpose, our heart, and then our will, which is our decision-making process, and then our faith, as we looked at in Romans 10 already. All of these scriptures, and believe me, there are, some, there are more, not just more scriptures, but more categories. I just gave you a few here. All of these scriptures put together, they indicate that our heart includes our emotions, our reasoning, and our will. It's the total of our being is what the scripture is trying to help us understand. It's your heart. And what really we're saying today, if your heart is not right with God, and that's why God said it's important that we align our hearts, and that's why we're taking these days, these first few days of 2020, and aligning our heart with the Lord. We're making sure. It never hurts to ask what Psalm 139 says, search me, Lord, and try me or test me and see if there be any wicked or evil way in me. That's, that's a good question to ask the Lord. It's a scary question. It's a, it's a daring question because most likely the Lord's going to show you something. If you ask in honesty and then you really do truly listen to him, he's probably going to show you an area of your life that I've been trying to work on you or I've been attempting to work on you or I need to work on you in this area. And he's, he's asking you permission. Will you let me do it? And that's where we are in 21 days of prayer with fasting. Lord, search me, try me, test me, see if there's something in me that's not aligned properly with you. And it starts in the heart. You know, you can't really do a diet or exercise or create a new habit until first we say, well, I got to make up my mind. But it starts deeper than that. It starts inside here. You got to want it. You got to want it. And then your heart helps your mind to get in gear and get in unity and get in alignment. So this whole thing about alignment, it's a powerful word. It's to put it into order. Now, salvation begins in the heart. We know that by receiving the testimony of what God's done for us through his son, Jesus. We see that in Romans 10 and many other scriptures. The rejection of that testimony of what God has done, not just saving us, but wanting, desiring to be Lord of our life. That, that surrendered that he is Lord of our life, that affects our heart 
Because we can say, Lord, I want you to save me, but I'm not sure I want you to be Lord of all of my doings and dealings in life. You know, I've got some people that I just kind of keep in my heart that I'm not too fond about. And when I think about them, I take them out and I kind of work them over a little bit. And then when I get satisfied that eh, I put them back in there for another day. I know none of you would ever do that. I, I know that. I'm just saying there are some people that would do that. And it, the Bible warns us against the hardness of our heart. There's a danger that our heart can become calloused or hard. And I feel like the Lord has really dealt with me to take this piece today and deal with it. Where is your heart with the Lord today? Yes, you may be saved and born again, but if we were all real, would just be real honest, I'm sure, I am convinced that there's something in all of us. I know there is in me, but I'm convinced there's something in all of us that we really need the Lord to allow the Lord to examine and align our hearts with him and make that right. Now, what does scripture say about the hardness? Psalm 95 says this, do not harden your heart as in the day of rebellion or King James says the day of provocation. They provoked the Lord through their rebellion. He was good to them. He brought them out and here they were, they provoked him by being rebellious. You know, the saying is God got the children of Israel out of Egypt, but he never got Egypt out of their heart. And that can happen to us too. He can save us from the world, but has, has he gotten the world out of our heart? Are we still always longing not to just go back and do the things that we did, but think and operate and function the way we used to function? Listen, being a child of God requires a new mind. Renewed by the word of God. So he said, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion in the trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. Then Proverbs 28, I love Proverbs, man. And some, of them are, some of them will lift you up and some of them will just straighten you out. And we need both. So Proverbs 28, 14 says this, happy or blessed is the person who's always reverent. Now, what's that mean? Reverent or has awe or respect of God's ways that follows the Lord. Holds in value the Lord's ways, the Lord's teaching, the right way to live. So happy is that person who's always reverent. But the one who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Well, we see that. People that harden their heart to the Lord, people that are rebellious against the Lord, what do they do? They get in trouble. They do things they should not do, and what? They get in trouble. They self-destruct, or they take others with them. Okay. How do you know a heart is hard? Here's just some, probably not all, evidences of a hard heart. Is a flippant or light attitude towards sin. Well... They say it's sin, but I don't know. And uh, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Or, or It's okay for me to do that, but it might not be okay for them to do that. But a flippant attitude towards sin, all sin. You know, the Bible talks about uh, reading through the Bible in Psalms and, and Proverbs and, and the Old and the New Covenant. It talks about they forgot. They forgot God. And they even said, oh, he's not looking. He's not watching. That is a flippant attitude towards sin. Partial acknowledgement or confession of sin. Well, yeah, I, I, I prayed, you know, but I really didn't, I didn't really confess everything that I should have confessed. Well, it says when you seek the Lord with all your heart, you're going to find him. He didn't say 99% or 95.2%, but a partial acknowledgement and confession of sin, it means your heart is hardened. When you really open your heart to the Lord, man, you, you, you just let it all gush out. You say, oh, yeah, Lord, in this. He says, yes, I know. I'm glad you're touching this and you're being honest with me. You know, a partial acknowledgement and confession of sin, let it all out. Uh, if, you, if you are wrestling with pride and conceit, most people that are wrestling with pride don't even know it. It takes some of us or the Lord to help them to understand, hey, you got some pride issues here and, and conceitedness. Then ingratitude, unconcerned about the word and the decrees of God. Well, a person that becomes uh, ungrateful towards the Lord and his goodness, your heart gets hard and your heart is hard towards the Lord. We need to be thankful all through the scriptures. It talks about thank the Lord, praise the Lord, acknowledge the Lord. Then another evidence of a hardness of heart could be ignoring the convictions of our conscience. The Holy Spirit speaking to us. But we're just like, no, not now. Uh, no, that's them. That's not me. I wouldn't do that. I don't know. And we ignore the convictions. We just press through like everything's okay. And it's not. 
And, uh, and then the last one that I came up with was resisting reproof or resisting correction. The person who hardens his heart when, 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 they're, when it's revealed to them that there's something wrong or someone comes to them and tries to help them to see that something's wrong. The person that hardens his heart, that refuses reproof, is suddenly cut off and it says, and that without remedy. Wow. So there is a point that people can cross a line. And so this hardness of heart, those are some of the ways that, you know, the hardness of heart is proven in our life. But yet a person is defined, and we are defined according to our heart as number, well, there's three things here. The first one is pure. And Psalms, there's so many scriptures about each one, but I'll just give you a few today. Uh, the person, a person that's defined as, as uh, in alignment with the Lord and their heart is good before the Lord is first pure. Psalm 24, 3 through 4, we use this in a call to worship, but it really is our life all the time, 24-7, okay? So Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? In other words, who can come to his presence? Thank God that there's grace before we're a Christian, that we come to him as we are, busted up and sinful and, and, and missing it. You can come to the Lord that way when you initially come to him for salvation. He'll receive you that way. That's the only way you can come. You can't clean your act up because you can't. And God's not looking for you to clean your act up because you can't. Did you hear that? You can't. You can't. He's looking for you to come to him just like the old song says, just as I am, because it's by grace that we're saved through faith, through trusting him. So, but then after that, after you and I become a believer in the Lord, who can come into his presence? Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who can stand in his holy place? Here it is. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. There's that heart. Who's not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Well, clean hands, what exactly does that mean? Are, are your hands and my hands, are they clean from being involved in sinful or ungodly activities? It comes from the heart, but it's activated through our hands, through our minds. Are you pressing the keyboard to go to a site that you shouldn't be looking at that's ungodly things? Or are you texting or emailing a message to somebody to give them a piece of your mind? Of course, it starts in the heart. And the mind's thinking it, but it's activated through your hands. Did you just literally backhand that person or slug them or do the steering wheel at them in traffic to get them, you know, uh, threaten them? Or are your hands clean from being involved? You know, there's a multitude of things there. I'm just using some crazy examples. But are your hands clean from sinful and ungodly activities? We use our hands either to, for righteousness and good purposes or for sinful, selfish purposes. The Bible tells us in Psalm 134 too, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Well, this isn't the only place you're supposed to be doing that. Lift up your hands anywhere and bless the Lord. I got a little story when I was a baby Christian, you know, and driving my VW to church on my own. None of my family was going to church. And just this day was, I was just blessed by the Lord this day. And I was singing when I came home and just worshiping the Lord in the car. And it was just, it was just an overflow of the service that morning and the Lord's love. And I got out of the car in the driveway there at, at home, living with my parents. And I got out of the car and I just lifted my hands and just thanked the Lord. I just said, Lord, I love you. I praise your name. I don't even remember everything I said, but you know, and then went on in the house. Well, like months later, I was always trying to witness to mom and dad. And, and one of the times talking to mom, she said, she said, well, she said, I, I always made her nervous. It always made her nervous to talk about her getting right with the Lord. But she said, if I ever get religion, that's funny, sound like old country. But she said, if I ever get religion, I want what you have. I said, why do you say that? Why do you say that that way? She said, I saw you that day that you came home, got out of the car and just lifted your hands and you didn't know anybody was watching you, but you were unashamed and you were just, she didn't know exactly how to say it. You were just thanking the Lord or just being grateful. And I remember doing it, but I especially remember it because my mom saw it. You never know. 
You never know what you praising the Lord. You never know what you giving thanks over your food in a restaurant or a public place or just bowing your head somewhere like you're somewhere in public and you see a horrible event like an earthquake or a volcano or something on the, on the news and you just bow your head and pray. You never know the impact that has on people. We've been in restaurants eating before and, and gave thanks over the meal and have people come by the table. They were usually Christians. A non-believer, I don't think, would do that so much. But usually Christians come over to the table and say, it is so good to, people, to see people give thanks in public over their food. It speaks to people. But lift the Lord, lift up your hands in the, in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Then Jesus said in Mark 10, uh, Jesus took up children in his arms. He put his hands on them and he blessed them. He put his hands on them and blessed them. We bless people with our hands. We bless people with our hands that comes from our heart. And then not only is there a purity that describes us as righteous, but the, the upright and the righteous. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said these words, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to find God in this 21 days of prayer and fasting closer or better or more real than you've ever found him before? Seek to purify your heart. Lord, align me. It's a daring, dangerous prayer, but Lord, if there's anything in me, and Lord, everything in me during this season, please, Holy Spirit, bring it to my awareness. And I, I have to pray this, Lord, give me grace that when you do, that I'll accept it. That I'll not fight you, that I'll not resist you. Amen? Because we could say, oh, you know, I'm okay. You know? And we're not. So, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then, a third characteristic of how we're defined in our heart is when uh, we're devoted and good. What's that mean? Luke 8, 15 says this. The seed that fell on the good ground are those who, having received or heard the word of God, and with a noble and good heart. Keep it and bear fruit with patience. You know, that's why some people make it when they accept the Lord and others don't. Did you hear me? That's why some people make it when they accept the Lord and become a believer. And that's the difference with why some people don't. You have to receive God's word as a seed with a noble and a good heart. I know many people that you, if you and I were to look at their life, we went, oh, they, they are a wild sinner. They're, they're bad. They're horrible. They're immoral. They're doing all this stuff. But you know what? Looking into their heart, which only God can do, those people may be hungry for truth. They're just trying to find truth, but they don't know where to look. I was one of those. I was trying to find truth. As a young person, I was trying to find the meaning to life and, and the meaning to my existence and, you know, what's this thing all about? And I was confused as a young person trying to fit in with different people. You know, you pick friends and you, you make bad decisions and you get hooked up with people and then you get involved with people and you, you start doing stuff you shouldn't do and it just leads you deeper and deeper. Now, some of you that raised in church, you, you have served the Lord all your life and thank God for you. You are a model example for the rest of us that didn't do that. But yet, deep inside, a lot of people, there is a core there. They really want to do right. They just don't know how. And they haven't heard the truth yet. I never heard the message. I heard about Jesus. I heard about God. But I never heard the message that you could actually know him. That it wasn't just a religion to believe in. And a, and a set of rules like Hinduism or Buddhism or Confucius, Confucianism. It wasn't just another set of some religious rules that you picked one of and hoped it was the right one. It, but it was a relationship. Nobody ever told me that. And I think many times when I was 18 and accepted the Lord, I said, I wonder if I'd have heard the real gospel if I'd have received then and, and not wasted a lot of years of my life. I don't know. But I just, Lord, I'm thankful that I heard and, I, and I'm saved now. But there's many people that have a, a desire, they have a noble and a good heart. And you, if you and I were to look at them, we'd think, oh my God, they're, they're one of the worst I've seen. But God looking at their heart knows where they really are. And those people like that, when they hear the word of God and they've got a heart for truth, when they get a hold of the truth, those are the ones that typically are that good ground. And Jesus told in that parable, I don't want to talk about all that parable because he talked about the different soils Hey, the seed's God's word. That's good. The sower is those that go out and sow it. It's the condition of the soil that determines the fruitfulness of the seed sown. So we need to have a good heart and a noble heart devoted in good. 
Because the Bible tells us our heart is naturally wicked. Isn't that an offense to you? Your heart is naturally wicked. It is. We're born that way. I was offended when I first heard it. You mean because of what Adam and Eve did? I'm guilty. I didn't like that. That offended my pride. I didn't do those things. But then when I got to looking, I tried to, you know, living by the Ten Commandments, I'm going, uh-oh. And I thought, well, I'm not killing anybody. But I really, honestly, I felt the Lord say to me, you're killing yourself the way you're living. The life that you're living, you're killing yourself. And if you keep doing it, you probably will be dead. I went, wow, I've disobeyed all ten. He goes, yeah, yeah. The heart is naturally wicked. Genesis 8, the Lord God said... He said it. <laughs> the Lord God said, Behold, man has become like one of us. He knows good and evil. The original plan for us was not to know evil in the sense of knowing evil, participating in evil. And now, lest he put his hand out his hand and, also, and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, man was expelled from the garden. Listen, it was God's mercy Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. If they'd ate of that tree of life... They'd live forever in that sinful condition. It was His mercy. It's His grace. Listen, it's God's mercy and grace that He convicts us, that He deals with us, that we that we are we are we are wondering and we're looking to find the Lord. And those that seek Him with all their heart, He is not far from us. He's easy to be found. But you have to come with a noble and a heart that's hungry. Man contaminates, I'm sorry, man's heart contaminates our whole life and character. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 12. For out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. And how many of you know when your mouth speaks, there's either blessing or there's trouble? It either creates a good atmosphere or it changes the atmosphere. And not some happy things can happen to that. And then Matthew 15, 18, he said, those things which proceed out of our mouth, where do they come from? From the heart. And they defile a person. That's what defiles us. Jesus was talking to those religious people that they were concerned about their hands being washed properly and before they ate food and, you know, they were contaminating themselves. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that contaminates him. It's what comes out of the heart. That's the source. Ezekiel, and, and that's why the scriptures teach us, this is what Christianity is different from all other world religions, from all other faiths, Christianity is different because it deals with our core. It deals with where, what's really wrong with us, our heart. To align our heart, get our heart right with the Lord. When we're lost, but even now as believers, our heart can't drift. We've got to guard our hearts. We'll talk about that in a moment. And this is why our heart has to be changed. It has to be regenerated. It has to be born again. The spirit that's within us has died because of sin, and it takes the Holy Spirit. When we receive and accept Yeshua and believe in Him, have faith in Him, He regenerates. He brings back to life our spirit, and we're reconnected to the Father. That's, that's the, you know, yes, we died naturally from the curse of sin, but we died spiritually from the curse of sin, and that's the part of us that's born again. My dad asked me when I first came home and told him I was, I was saved and said, saved from what? And I went, uh, I don't know how to answer that, but I have joy and I have peace. And I know that my life is going to be lived for the Lord the rest of it. And, and I didn't know how to answer that. But, you know, I was regenerated. I was born, born anew. And his words to me was, well, we'll see how long you, you last in this, whether it's real or not. Well, it's been a little while now. Have I been perfect? No. But yet I'm still... I get knocked down, but I'm still getting up. Amen. So, here's the remedy. Two scriptures. There's more, but two. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. The Lord promises, he said, I will sprinkle clean water. Well, immediately, that's the washing of the word. That water, that word that washes us. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. Aren't you glad you shall be clean? And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. Thank God. I'm not just following a bunch of religious rules. I've got a relationship with a God that's alive today and will be forevermore. And I'm his child. I'm his son. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. I've got a, I've got a new heart and a new spirit in me. And he's, and he's constantly 
conforming and transforming me into the image of his son. And he's using you and he's using my wife and he's using the Holy Spirit and he's using all the things that are happening to deal with us, to transform us and conform us. So all of you are in that project of helping me to be transformed and conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing is, we're all trying to, and we're all supposed to help each other. Whether we're sandpaper or with a smoothing stone, where we're the oil or the wine, you know. He said, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. His commands and his ways to do them. And then Psalm 51, David's cry after he sinned. David's cry after he sinned. Powerful words. David cried out and he said, created me a clean heart. I need a clean heart, Lord. My heart's become polluted. It's become sidetracked. It's become sinful. I got off track, Lord. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't where I should have been. I didn't have my mind and my heart fixed on you. David cried many times, Lord, fix my heart upon you. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and behold and uphold me by your generous spirit. What a prayer. Powerful. What does the Bible say about protecting our heart as we wind this up this morning? The Bible says a lot of things, and I can just give you a few. Proverbs first, it's in Proverbs 4, it says, I love Proverbs 4. I love, you know, I don't have a favorite scripture because they're all good. There's just ones that really have been life scriptures for me that speak out to me and speak to my heart. Proverbs 4, I love Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27 says, above all else. What does that mean? As a priority. Above everything else. Before you do anything else, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because as we've said, it's the center of it all. It is where the enemy wants to come in and deceive us, or it is where the Lord wants to guide and rule and reign through us from. It's the heart. So he said, guard your heart. And especially in the day and the time that we're living in, we are so bombarded with distractions, and we're bombarded even with other Christians that have other opinions about things. And, and you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. They can have it. But what we've got to do is make sure what we're, our heart is lined with is the word, the truth. Rightly divided. Rightly divided and interpreted. Rightly divided and interpreted. People can come up with all kinds of interpretations, but rightly divided and interpreted. You need to know the people that you're listening to that preach and teach God's word. You need to know what spirit they're of. You need to know what they theo theologically believe in. You know what platform they're from. Now, there's a lot of grace there in some, in some areas. There's a lot of grace there. It's not going to make some of it's, and I'm going to make this statement and offend the, some of you maybe that are theologically, you know, that's a big thing for you, that, that we have to have grace too. Just because a person doesn't believe exactly when Jesus is going to come or different from you, doesn't, doesn't mean they're the Antichrist. They're entitled to their opinion. I, I, I'm wondering how many of us are really right and got it right. I've just made up my mind, Lord, I'm going to live for you every day. If I've got to go through the tribulation, I'm going to live for you. If I've got to go through persecution, I'm going to live for you. Lord, if you escape us from all that, I'm going to live for you. I just made up my mind, I'm going to live for him. Lord, you're going to come when you know it's time to come. Now, I have a theological belief that I believe is accurate or correct based on Scripture. I do, but I've made up my mind. If I'm wrong with that and don't understand it, it doesn't matter. I've made up my mind. I'm going to be faithful to the Lord no matter what. No matter what. Now, I'm not taking theologically light when I say that, but just some things you, have to, you give grace. Wow, where'd that come from? That's not, okay. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything we do flows from our heart. And if our heart's not aligned with the Lord, if it's not right with the Lord, if it's not pure before the Lord, we're going to get in trouble. He goes on to say, keep your, keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Wow. 
You want to live right? You want to do right? There's many other verses of Scripture, but embrace that, Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. If you'll, if you'll do those things, you'll be okay with the Lord. You'll be okay with the Lord. We are reminded of all the things that try to come against us. I mean, we're bombarded. Guarding our heart means to being wise and discerning in our life, especially in the time that we're living in. Guarding our heart means protecting ourselves as Christians from all the things that would try to come and deceive and overwhelm and overcome us. Guard your heart. That's why prayer is so important. That's why seasons of fasting with prayer are so important. That's why reading, studying God's Word diligently is so important. The Word will correct you. It'll encourage you. It'll bless you. It'll comfort you. But it'll also correct you. It'll show you where you're missing it. It'll show you where you're, you are doing the right thing. Now, last I want to close today. What is God's heart? What is God's heart? Now, that's a big, that's a big question. And I've picked a few scriptures to answer that. There's many more. But I said, Lord, what is on your heart? What is on your heart as revealed in Scripture? And let me just show you four things, four Scriptures, and we'll wrap this up. Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you. Aren't you glad about that? He knows the plans He has. He has plans. You're not just aimlessly wondering, and if you are, it's because you're not connected to Him. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. This mentality that God's mad at me, God's angry at me, God's vengeful, God's going to get me back. If when bad things happen to me, it's the, Lord, it's the Lord repaying me for what I've done. That's not God. Now, I, my feelings on that is is when you're under the covenant with the Lord, that doesn't mean your refrigerator is not going to break down. It just means you're going to have help in the midst of it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to go out there on one morning and have a flat tire. It doesn't mean you may lose your job, may not ever lose your job. But in the midst of all of that, it means that He is with you to help you, to never leave you and to comfort you and never forsake you. And when he's there with you and you walk with him, he is the God of provision. He's going to make a way. He's going to give you a creative idea. Or he's going to give you the skills and abilities he's put within you to help you to figure it out. But if you get outside of his covenant, you are an open target to the enemy. You have no protection. When you're disobedient and rebellion from the Lord, you don't, you don't, God doesn't have to curse you. You're an automatic target of the enemy, and there's no protection. There's the grace of God and mercy, but you keep rebelling against the Lord. What you're doing, you're walking in your own way. You're saying to God, I don't want your help. I don't want to live your way. I can do it fine myself. That is the biblical definition of pride, thinking you can live without him and make it. So when you're not in the covenant protection and you step out of that, you're an open target for the enemy. You're, you're, listen, the devil even is already shooting fiery darts against us now as God's people under covenant. But we got armor. But when you're outside of that covenant, you don't know what you're doing. You don't have armor. You're not using it. You don't have the blood, the name, the authority because you're doing your own thing. You're on your own. And that's a bad place to be on our own. So he knows the plans that he has for us. It's plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Listen, the Lord knows when we're faking it. The Lord knows when we're really getting down. You know, I think that's why a lot of prayers are delayed because we're not serious yet. Or we've got our mind set on what we think the answer is. And the Lord's letting us work through the options. And the options aren't working until we finally say, Lord, my way's not working. Have you got a better plan? Well, I've been waiting on you to ask me. I've been there so many times. It's just been, Lord, you got a plan. Let's just not go through that bad history thing that I've had. Just what's your plan, Lord? You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Wow, that's good news. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And then, what is God's will 
in, in the new covenant, just shift over to that, 1 Timothy 2, 3, 4, that's where uh, Paul talks, tells us to pray for all those that are in authority over us, okay? Now, we don't like that, but the Bible says that we are to do that because that's what the Lord, the Lord in, in Romans 13, the Lord said they place these people in authority over us. We may not like their political or religious or, or moral or whatever opinions or, or, or personalities, but the Lord said, I put them there, and that's kind of hard for us to believe sometimes, but the Lord said, I allowed them to be put there, and I think our voting has something to do with it too, but anyway, that's beside the point this morning, but to pray for all those leaders who are in authority, why? Why do we do that? Because here's, here's what God's will is. Here's God's heart in that matter. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior. It's good to pray for the leaders. It's good to pray for them who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants us to pray for their salvation. He wants us to pray for everybody's salvation. And then he goes on to there, I didn't include it, that, that we may lead peaceful lives. But he, God's will is that he wants all men, all humanity to come to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What's another point of God's will that I chose to share with you this morning? Like I said, there's many more, but I chose these four. Luke 12, 32. He told us, do not be afraid, little flock. That's us. Little, the, the flock is not people that are outside the kingdom. They may be the goats. We're supposed to be the sheep. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you his kingdom. That's what Jesus Yeshua died for, rose again for, ascended for, sits at the right hand of the Father, administrates for, is for you and I to have the kingdom that he provided for us. Then I love Matthew 6, couldn't end without this, that God's will is if we will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added to you. Now, I don't know about you, when I read that, Years ago, the Lord rebuked me because typically I was looking, well, yeah, let's get the things. I want the things. I want the blessings. And the Lord dealt with me and said, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And that's why somebody somewhere came up with the saying that we seek the face of God relationship and not just the hand of God, what he can do for us. Equate that to a parent. You as a parent, if your, your child or grandkids or greats are always coming to you, hey, I need, I want, I need, I want. And you, you just said, hey, do you have a hug? No, no, I want, I want, I want a dollar. I want, I want this. Do you have a hug for mom, dad, grandpa, grand, granny? Do you have a hug? No, they're too busy. Equate that. You know, the Lord is our father. God is our father. He wants first our love. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness to be in a right relationship with him. And the Lord said, you've got your goal fixed on the stuff. Not on seeking first my will and to be right with me. So the Lord a few years ago said, you know, and when I read that, I pause. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because I've got to make sure my heart is doing that part for the right motive. Because the rest of that verse and all these things will be added to you, I kind of think, it, I kind of feel like it's, a, it's an automatic going to happen. Because when you and I do the right thing, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness to be in right standing with him, he's a good father. And he knows what we have need of before we even ask. And he's a good father and he wants to give us of his kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give us his kingdom. So I kind of feel like I kind of think through it and say, well, if I'll, just, if I'll seek first the kingdom, if I'll put God's kingdom first, and that means denying myself. Ooh, pastor, why'd you go there today? That means denying ourselves. That means saying no to our flesh. That means saying no to sin and no to our flesh, no to what sometimes we would rather do when the Lord's dealing with, with us to do something different. Seek first the kingdom. Lord, what pleases you? Do we ever ask that? Lord, what pleases you? And what's, what is in, in living in your righteousness? You know what that really means, living in his righteousness? That means you cannot, you've you got to live right with God. But as I said last week, the cross is not just vertical, it's horizontal too. You live right in a right relationship with the Lord. But to, to really be a kingdom citizen, you have to learn to live in a right relationship with people around you. That's the tough part. <laughs> 
And that's why Paul said such scripture says, as much as lies within you, or as much as is possible, live at peace with all men or people. Sometimes it's not possible. But as much as it is my responsibility, I'm to make the effort to be at peace with people. If they'll let me, I can. But sometimes you do all you can do and you have to leave it at that. If they won't respond in the right way or, you know, respond reciprocally and have peace with you, you know you've done the right thing and you leave it with them. You have to leave it with them. And I, the Lord's taught me, how, taught me to pray this. Lord, I forgive them and I release them. And Lord, I now pray for them that you would give them grace and they would choose grace that they would, they would release and forgive me so they can be free. I'm free because I forgave them, but if they don't forgive me, they're not free. They're bound. And the Lord said, are you, boy, when the Lord first introduced this to me, I went, I don't know about that. You want me to pray for them that they'd forgive me and, and so that they could have peace? I was wanting them to roast a little while, Lord. I was wanting them to, to struggle like I've had to, I was wanting them to go through a little pressure like you put me through. I know none of you would ever feel that way. It's just me. I realize that it's just me. Pastor's got issues. But when the first, Lord first introduced that to me, I had all those kind of, and I said, you know, Lord, that's the answer. Of course, <laughs> duh, like he doesn't have the answer. And the Lord, I said, Lord, have you ever had said, God, give me grace to pray that? Well, when I first prayed that, it's like, whoa. But I realized, Lord, that's the answer. That's where reconciliation and peace will come from. And, it's, you know, I've still got prayers out there because there's still people that I know that years ago that we had differences. And I honestly have released and forgiven and blessed. And when I think about them, it's not, it's like, bless them. And boy, I had to say it out loud because you can't just deal with your, you got you got your mouth got to speak it or you really don't get it. You know, Lord, bless them. Not bless them. Lord, bless them. Bless her. Help them. God, give them this. You know what? Ephesians 4, at the end of that chapter, Ephesians 4, as God has forgiven you, forgive also those. Man. His word just deals with the whole thing, doesn't it? There's just no wiggle room there if you're really trying to live right for the Lord. Lord, give them grace. To forgive and release me so that they can be free. As we go into 2020, just this morning as Pastor Larry comes, I don't doubt in this room or those listening today that every one of us needs to come, up, come to the Lord. I know it's a little scary. I know for some of you that have been offended, wounded, violated, you're, you're, you deal on a level that's hard. I understand that. I understand that. But the way for you to be free is for you to release and forgive those people. And you release them into God's hands. And he knows how to deal with them. But he can't deal with them when you are. You're holding them as a captive. He's waiting on you to release them and forgive them so that you can be clean. Uh, clean and so that you can be have peace and when you do that you'll have peace and he'll begin he'll begin to deal with them i didn't say today or tomorrow but he will begin to deal with them remember god has to deal with us he's dealing with our will and some of us have a more stubborn will than others and god knows how to he knows how and he knows how to create circumstances or we get ourselves into circumstances that are back us to the wall that finally we cry out, oh God, I can't do this anymore. All of us go through that in some measure. But as we examine our hearts this early part of 2020, I encourage you today to take seriously the word from the Lord and the scriptures I've shared with you today about your heart. It's the center. If your heart's not right, in relationship areas with God, if your heart's not right in relationship areas with other people, I encourage you, obey what the word of the Lord said. Do what Jesus said in Matthew 27. Build your house upon the rock that when the storms and the wind and the rain of life comes, you will stand and not fall and not crumble. I want you to stand with me this morning, please. Thank you so much. I'm trying to get you out of here earlier. I'm trying. <laughs>